And so when I represented the uh, the witch's coven trying to call Satan in, I had them sing Here Comes Santa Claus. Hi, Internet. Welcome to episode 11 of Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. I'm an award-winning author, a celebrated humorist, and a noted one-horse open sleigh enthusiast. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big things, important things. The reason for that is because in the current moment, it is very easy to assume no one ever changes their mind about anything, regardless of the evidence, regardless of how important it is. But it does happen. We've all seen it happen. It is December. This episode is going up on the first of the month. Um, So we are going to do a couple of very merry, very special episodes of Changed My Mind. On this first one, we have a guest I am extremely excited to have on the show. A guy who goes by the name Benito Serino. But this one's not just for the Melville fans out there. Benito Serino is a uh, pretty successful comics writer. He's written for The Tick. He's written for the Army of Darkness comics. Um, And what I know him from is one of my all-time favorite podcasts, a podcast called Apocrypals, where, and I quote from their tagline, two non-believers read through the Bible and try not to be jerks about it. It's a delightful show. You really should check it out. I obviously am not a non-believer like they are, but um, I am consistently impressed by how biblically literate Benito is and how fair to people of faith the show is. So it is uh, really a joy to listen to. What I talked to Benito about is only tangentially related to Apocrypals, um, but Benito is someone who, for much of his adolescence and into his 20s, really hated Saint Nick, Santa Claus, whoever you want to call him. Um, but in his adulthood, despite losing his uh, Christian faith, has come around to really loving Santa Claus and not just, you know, the commercial hallmark figure of Santa Claus, but like the legendary St. Nicholas of ye olden times. In our conversation, he briefly alludes to a story that he doesn't actually have time to explain, but there is a, one of the hagiographic legends of St. Nicholas is that he raised from the dead a murdered boy who had been preserved in a pickle barrel. So uh, that's the kind of talk you can expect from this podcast. If you are one of those people who hates the Hallmark Santa, I think you might be pleasantly surprised. So please stick around and give it a listen. I will let Benito speak for himself, and I will see you on the other side of the conversation. Welcome to episode 11 of Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington, and I'm sitting here with Benito Serino. Say hi, Benito. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hey, Luke. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big things, sometimes small things, sometimes in between. We like to mix it up. The reason being that uh, what's very trendy in pop psychology right now is the backfire effect. 
where if you tell someone that their beliefs are wrong, they will dig their heels in even harder. Um, but people do change their minds, and we've all seen it happen, and I want to know why. So this is my podcast. It's about 15% research project, 85% therapy for me. Um, we're going to be talking to Benito today about St. Nicholas. Uh, Benito, if you don't know him, is a comics writer out of Lexington, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. uh, the, he's written for The Tick. Yep. Um, he writes for grunge.com and he is the co-host of one of my absolute favorite podcasts, Apocrypals, where two non-believers read the Bible and try not to be jerks about it. Did I get that right? That is, that is the premise. Yeah. <laughs> I was telling Benito, I am mildly starstruck to have him and have him on the show because I just, I listen to Apocrypals religiously. Get it? Yeah. Get it? Yeah. It's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, this December, we're going to be doing a couple of very merry, festive episodes of Changed My Mind. Um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have uh, my friend Tom Darrow on the show to talk about the alleged pagan origins of Christmas. But today, since this episode is going out just about a week before St. Nicholas Day, we're going to be talking to Benino about how he was once a Scrooge, but then came around and learned to love St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, all things Christmas. Is that is that more or less accurate? Yeah, that's that's basically I, <laughs> I, I, I should say I definitely have. I've always loved Christmas. I just okay. it, it was the Santa Claus aspect that I really had to come around on. And, and, okay. I, and I have in probably the biggest way possible. I think I, I remember you saying on Apocrypals once that you are the St. Paul of Santa Claus or something. To that effect. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. you could say that. Yeah, I, that sounds like something Chris would say, probably. Yeah, um, <laughs> definitely. I, I had a I had my uh, road to Damascus moment where I, I no, there I don't know. There wasn't actually a specific like epiphanic moment or anything. It just uh, it just happened. But uh, yeah, I definitely did have a, a major swing. Yeah. Like the sky didn't light up and you didn't hear, ho, 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 why are you persecuting me? Un unfortunately, no. I do wish that that had happened. Um, <laughs> I, I do wish that that had happened rather than the rather general. Well, I don't know. I just in general kind of had a very, uh, I transitioned perspectives on a lot of things over a, a mm, I don't know, I guess a year or two's time probably. But, uh, and that, that was, that's one that's had a major, uh, impact <laughs> on my life as have other ones as well. Um, well, why don't we, um, start, start at the beginning. I, you know, I, I gave them a quick, uh, overview of who you are, but if you want to take a minute and just tell us, you know, who's, who's Benito Serino, what's he about? Yeah. Um, Sure. Uh, I'm a writer and a podcaster. I've written comics for different publishers, um, Image, uh, Dark Horse, Dynamite. My creator-owned books include an action comedy sci-fi book called Tales from the Bully Pulpit, where uh, Teddy Roosevelt and the ghost of Thomas Edison steal a time machine and fight Nazis <laughs> on Mars. Um, that was kind of my first big thing. Um, I have a book called uh, Hector Plasm that I do with uh, Nate Bellegarde which is a paranormal adventure kind of book about a ghost hunter that delves into a lot of uh, authentic ghost folklore. 
Um, but I also, yeah, I wrote The Tick for a number of years. I've wrote the first ongoing Tick series since the original. I wrote Tick number 100, uh, which was a crossover with Robert Kirkman's Invincible. I also wrote Tick number 101, which is a crossover with Mike Allred's Madman. I did all those issues with um, Les McLean was the artist on those. I've also done um, other stuff. I've written uh, Tim Seeley's Hack Slash. I wrote an Army of Darkness Halloween special that uh, my co-host on Apocrypals, Chris Sims, also wrote a story for. But yeah, I also I write regularly for Grunge.com, where I write articles usually about weird history or religion or horror movies or something like that. I, I have uh, articles up roughly once a week. And uh, I'm the co-host of Apocrypals, yeah, where me and Chris Sims, we read the Bible and Bible-adjacent material, and um, we try to discuss it and engage with it in a direct but fun way that helps that can help people understand. Um, our theory is that if you can understand star Wars, you can understand the Bible. So um, <laughs> that's kind of our approach to it. All right. So we're going to talk about um, how you changed your mind about St. Nicholas. Um, would, you, would you say St. Nick or Santa? Like, cause um, those are two parallel, but not necessarily identical figures. Right. That um, that's true. And some people are very strict about that, um, about drawing a line between the two. Um, I I am not, um, I am, I, I take a fairly holistic approach to Christmas and Christmas mythology. Um, while I can acknowledge that, um, that the, you know, the religious or hagiographical figure of St. Nicholas is distinct from the more popular conception of Santa Claus in popular consciousness, for the most part, you know, except for people who are specifically making uh, the religious distinction, they are the same, right? For the most part, if you say St. Sure. Nicholas, people picture Santa Claus. If you say Father Christmas, people picture Santa Claus, even though, again, traditional British people might take umbrage with that and say, well, Father Christmas isn't really Santa Claus. But for, for the most part, popular conception, they are the same. And the three of them have become entangled to the point where they're very hard to extricate from one another. So so my approach is, is a holistic one where, yes, you have, you have to think of the three together in almost a Trinitarian view, right? Where <laughs> there, are three, there are three persons, three persons, three distinct persons of the same entity. So for me, for me uh, yeah, St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, Father Christmas... Uh, I have come around on all of them. The Santa that I specifically did not like as a teen would have been, you know, pop culture Santa, although I probably would have had some negative thoughts about Catholic Saint, St. Nicholas as well. <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, I mean, we should um, probably talk about your, um, you know, your biography. Um, yeah. I, I know you've, you've talked some on Apocrypals about how you and you and Chris were both raised quote unquote evangelical, which I feel like feel like is kind of this great undefined term for this vast <laughs> swath of Protestantism. Yeah. Um, but evangelical is generally evangelicalism is generally, if not openly hostile to the idea of the saints, at least um, ignorant of it, I should say, probably. Is, yeah. is that is that fair? Yeah. Um, you want to talk a little bit about your religious background, maybe? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Chris and I were, are both from the, the South, right? Um, but we, we do have different backgrounds with religion and that for Chris, um, evangelicalism, as, as he describes it, was basically the background radiation of his life as, as it would be for anybody, 
anybody who grew up in the South, really, like it's it's difficult not to encounter Christian culture as the mainstream culture. Whereas for me, church was an everyday part of my life from birth until I went to college, basically. I went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And then, um, like I like I have said on Apocrypha Pals, my elementary school was across the street from my church. And so I would walk from school to church every day, and I would spend <laughs> every day hanging out on the church grounds until my dad took me home. Church is my family business as well. Like my relatives in almost every direction have worked in the church or for a religious organization in one way or the other, whether as a music minister, Sunday school teacher, minister, piano player, whatever. Um, we're all, uh, my, my family for the most part, um, is Southern Baptist, which is, you know, that's the, it's the biggest Protestant denomination in the U S. Um, so it's not, that's not that unusual, but, um, that was my world growing up was, um, Southern Baptist. I, I might have encountered somebody of another Protestant denomination, you know, a Presbyterian or a Methodist or, or something uh, growing up. But like, I don't know how old I was the first time I, I met a Catholic person um, <laughs> or, or a Jewish person. You know, outside of school, my only social contacts would have been at church, right? Um, mm-hmm. While my parents are, um, they're not they're not strict in the sense of like, they're not like, Carrie White's mom from Carrie, right? Like they're not, they're not like not, it's 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 nothing like that. Um, they still, you know, there are certain things that my mom especially was very was wary of. Like there were various points in my childhood where I wasn't allowed to watch uh, the show Bewitched because of which. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I think probably less surprising. I was there were points I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons. I wasn't allowed to watch Roseanne. I still have never really seen Roseanne. Um, I wasn't allowed to watch, you know, married with children. So, and so, and in some of those cases, I think that was more of a, like, those shows are low class kind of thing rather than a, a religious <laughs> thing. Although that there were elements of like, these are the dirty shows as well, you know, but mm-hmm. like, also like I talk about on Apocrypals, uh, didn't really do Halloween. Like Halloween, mm-hmm. is, Halloween is one of my main things now, right? Like I, I think a lot, of people, a lot of people associate me with Halloween because I do the uh, War Rocket Ajax uh, Halloween specials every year. That's uh, my co-host on Apocrypha Pals, Chris Sims. His other, um, probably his arguably main podcast is the comics and pop culture podcast, War Rocket Ajax. And I've been on their Halloween episode basically every year for 10 years or something. And um, so between that and the fact that I write about horror movies a lot, I think um, I think a lot of people associate me with Halloween, but... Yeah, growing up, I um I didn't trick or treat. I always went to my church's fall festival, like where you could dress up like a Bible person. Or <laughs> that, that didn't last long. I think I told that story on this year's. Yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah. So that that like you were supposed to dress as a Bible person one year, and then I think nobody did it, and so they were like, okay, that's not a rule anymore. But, <laughs> I think um, what you said was everybody was just like, well, animals are in the Bible, right? Or something that's, like that's, that. Even, everybody even, came in an animal costume. Even my, yeah, that's what my mom, that's what my mom did. My, like, my mom would have been the one pressing for Bible characters, and then I think probably <laughs> it was like, there's no patterns at Joanne Fabric for Bible costumes. Um, <laughs> uh and so yeah, I was a I was a bobcat, you know, like was like was on the ark. Technically, every animal. And then there's just the fact that like the standard outfit for like every Bible character is like 
robe or tunic and like a headdress, you know, so your mom's just going to be like, put on a bathrobe and tie a towel on your head. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, it, I, there's like one costume for every Bible character. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I, um, I mean, I would have been pretty young when that happened, but I don't remember literally anyone at the fall festival dressed up as a specific Bible character. So like, <laughs> so I, I, so I know that didn't take, because I, I can remember like subsequent years, I was uh, a dinosaur. Uh, one year I made a Spider-Man costume out of like sweatpants and sweatshirt and stuff uh, um you know so so i know that uh i know it didn't i know that that rule didn't take but uh yeah similarly christmas for me would have been removed from the more secular elements of christmas sure. um christmas was always big in my family and like i said i've always been a big christmas fan that has never wavered at any point um and <laughs> Again, my mom also very into Christmas, like to the point where I go home to visit my parents. Now there's a Christmas tree in literally every room. There'll be one in the bathrooms, right? There'll be a, you know, a a (laughs) Christmas tree in the, in the bathroom, but we never, we didn't do Santa Claus growing up. Like my parents never, Hmm. they didn't, they never said to me like Santa's not real that I can remember. I I believed in Santa. I remember believing in Santa (laughs) in, in elementary school, but like my parents never said that like our presence would always be labeled from mom and dad or. So what did it, what did it, what did it feel like then to believe in Santa, but to know he never stopped at your house? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think, I don't think my brain ever interpreted it that that way. Um, That's interesting. Even though my parents would always be like, yeah, these are from us. My brain would be like, okay, they're from Santa Claus. Like, like I, I specifically remember telling friends in elementary school that I had seen Santa Claus, right? Like one night, I, one night I had, I had, um, I had woken up and seen him in the living room. So I definitely did, even though it was kind of discouraged, like definitely, it was definitely Jesus Christmas at our house. Like we have the na- nativity scene set up. There'd be angels around, but like, um, no, no Santas, no reindeer, no elves. That's not, not how we did at our house. Um, but at the same time, I was also, I was, and still am, uh, addicted to Christmas specials on TV, especially, uh, the Rankin Bass specials. Um, I was very into Rudolph, but I think the one I was really into was Santa Claus is coming to town, which I think probably instilled something in me that is still a major part of the way I approach things and not just Christmas things, because it was like, it's this origin for Santa Claus and it answers the questions, why are things this way, which that's kind of how my brain works now, right? I still look at a problem and go, well, or I look at a, you know, a historical figure or a cultural figure or whatever. And I say, well, why are things this way? Right. Just like, hmm. why is he Chris Kringle? He was raised by the Kringles. Why does he have a beard? Guide <laughs> himself from Meister Burger um, or whatever, you know? And so uh, that, that kind of thinking I feel like has influenced me in a, in a major way. But what, what ended up happening was as I got older, as I got to be, you know, a teenager, I started looking at things in a different way. I feel um, obviously being a teenager, high school years are a major transitional period for everybody. Can I interrupt you for just one yeah. second? Because I feel like you're getting ahead of me a little bit. I okay. just, I, I just want to know, like, as a kid, were you like? Obviously, you were aware of Santa Claus, even though your parents yeah. didn't want you to talk about him. I'm curious, were you aware of this? historical or hagiographic figure of St. Nicholas at all? Or was um, that later? Uh, that would have been much later. I, I would not have, okay. would not have had, I mean, obviously I'm, a, you're aware of 
the name St. Nicholas in association with sure. Santa Claus. Like, you know, you take piano lessons. One of the first songs you're probably going to learn is Jolly Old St. Nicholas because it's sure. so easy. Sure. Um, and so and so I had that exposure. I, I knew the name. But yeah. Um, I mean, did you have an idea of like what a saint was? Not really. Was I mean, that, okay. only to the only to the extent that um, you would hear the name with certain people from the Bible. You'd hear St. Paul or you would hear sure. uh, St. Mark or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, even in the Baptist church, that might get said, right? You might hear the, uh-huh. go- the gospel according to St. Mark or according to St. Luke. Um, okay. And so, so that's not um, so that's not super unusual. So I had, you know, you, you have the vague idea that a saint is a, is a special and a holy person. But, you know, with within the church I grew up in, the idea is like sainthood is not a specific s- special status, right? Right. The it's, like, it's the whole Protestant, we're all saints because exactly, right. we've all yeah. been baptized into Christ or whatever. Yeah. Exactly right. Sancti- sanctification of all of all believers, priesthood of all believers, right? Like that's that's kind of the egalitarian <laughs> approach to it, I guess. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, like, you know, I'm vaguely aware of it, but I didn't know at all growing up. You know, I didn't know stories of St. Nicholas. I wouldn't have been able to tell you anything about a historical St. Nicholas separate from the ideas of Santa Claus. Absolutely not. As a kid, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't have been able to tell you anything about St. Christopher or, uh, you know, St. (laughs) Anthony or St. Barbara or, or whatever. I wouldn't have known any stuff at all. All right. So getting back on track, you said you were, you were getting into high school, middle school, high school. Yeah. That, that was when, that's when I would have turned against Santa Claus, I think, because I, I, you know, by about, I seem to remember uh, 11th grade and 11th grade specifically by that period, I was starting to question the way things are presented to us. Right. Like um, question authority, man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so (laughs) like everyone in 11th grade, basically. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not trying to present this in any way as uh, as like unique to me, but one of the ways I was looking at it was I was looking at Santa and I was like, well, Christmas is good, but Santa represents this commercialization of Christmas that sure. that twists the message. And and at this point, I, I really was turning against the more secular aspects of Christmas. And so I was still really into Christmas. I turned I turned majorly against Santa Claus to the point where uh, in 11th grade. And the reason I remember it's 11th grade is because I remember which English class I was in. Um, we were, we were doing a presentation on, uh, the Nathaniel Hawthorne short story, Young Goodman Brown, which is, um, it's a story set in, uh, Puritan times about young Goodman Brown, uh, and, and he goes out into the woods and he witnesses basically a witch's coven with much of the people of his village. And he realizes that the holy facade that everyone puts up is a sham, this and that, right? And, um, and so for the presentation that I put together, I basically wrote it as a reenactment of the story, but as a comedy. (laughs) And so when I represented the, uh, the witch's coven trying to call Satan in, I had them sing, here comes Santa Claus. And I thought that, (laughs) and, 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 uh, and to me, I was making like this very like cutting satirical, remarked in my, in my <laughs> mind but i feel like to anyone who who didn't have my specific mindset on the issue would have just been like uh he just random he's just randomly picked 
a song that you wouldn't expect. You saw through the code, man, because yeah. Santa is clearly an anagram for it's Satan. An like, anagram for Satan. He's yeah. not even subtle about it. He dresses in all red, like obviously. Like, yeah, come yeah, on. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's all right there, man. It's all right there. And and I have to say, like an, another major swing for me at, that ha- has happened and that was focused around that same time is I was very anti Disney at that time. Uh, that same that same age. I mean, that's how when you're in high school, that's how you show you're a badass to the world. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Gone well, beyond all this stuff that kids like, right? Well, actually, for me, it was for me, it was a little bit different. So, like, okay, okay. What, what would have ki- what would have kicked that off? I think was there was actually supposed to be an organized boycott by the Southern Baptist Convention. Oh yes, that, time. that was for pol- yes. that was for political reasons involving the fact that. Um, they were too um, too tolerant of gay people, for example, right? Or, or, or um, the fact that divisions like Miramax or whatever were putting out controversial movies or whatever, and so sure. that was part of it. But my reasoning for for it wasn't that. Although I think that's where I got the idea that I should question what Disney was sure. doing. I think for me, a big thing was I uh, saw I went to see Toy Story <laughs> in, in the theater with my grandma. <laughs> Um, and I saw the trailer for the hunchback of Notre Dame, which I had just, which I had just read for English class. Oh, wow. And I got so mad at the idea of that, of that book being somehow watered down to become a Disney movie. (laughs) It made me go, wait, Disney takes all of these things and ruins them to make them acceptable for (laughs) mass audience or whatever. Right. And so like, I mean, you're, you're not wrong. Well, true. I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, it's not it's, like that. It's not like that movie didn't water down the Victor Hugo. No. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I still, I actually, I still haven't seen that one. I've never, I've never seen that one. But, but yeah, I got so mad at Disney. I, I had to do the whole thing. I wrote a play that we put on at school. This wasn't the main thing. The main character of it was Satan. It was about Satan wanting <laughs> encountering different people. But, um, but uh, in the play, I played Disney president at the time, Michael Eisner, and there was. A- <laughs> <laughs> there was a whole scene where Michael Eisner was trying to talk to Satan about adapting his life story into a Disney movie. And, and, um, and I kept saying things like, oh, this isn't marketable. This isn't um, this isn't good. What if, we, what if we gave you some like talking weasel sidekicks? And I think the biggest joke was. We can't say hell that won't go over. We'll, we'll say uh, we'll say that Satan comes from a place called Pappyland Disco. And that was um, <laughs> that was kind of the big joke of that scene. I was just going to say Maleficent gets away with saying hell in the original Sleeping Beauty movie. So, oh yeah, that's a good good point. I didn't think about that. Actually, uh, come to think of it, come to think of it, one of the big show stopping songs in the Hunchback of Notre Dame is called Hellfire. So, wow. Well, see yeah, if I should. <laughs> if I watched the movie, I would have known. Um, but anyway, uh, that I've had I've had such a huge swing on on that as well. Like I was a, I was a day one Disney Plus subscriber, but also to the point where like, <laughs> they, they put out um, they put out a special edition magazine for the Mickey Mouse 90th anniversary last year that I actually got interviewed for. Like to the point where oh wow, like, we need to talk to someone who's an expert on Mickey Mouse comics. And they called, me, they called me up um, because, yeah, uh, I've written pretty extensively about Disney comics. And uh, cool. so, yeah, my point is, yeah, there was that was a time in my life where I look back and I go, oh, you're not going to like where your life is going. <laughs> if, you hate, <laughs> if you hate Santa Claus, 
and you hate Mickey Mouse, it's not gonna you're not gonna like where you're at in 20 years. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, at, at at the time, like I would have been ostensibly politically conservative because that was what my family was, and that was all I understood. Right? Like, why would anyone not vote for Bob Dole? Right? Um, <laughs> To the point where like when I was in high school government class and we had we did a a faux Congress, right, where you had to be um, you had to pick your political party and then we would discuss particular issues and then you would uh, vote on them. Like we would literally vote by moving from one side of the room to the other. Uh And the only one that really sticks out to me is um, I believe the the discussion was on gay people in the army or the the military. And I was literally the only person on the side of the room saying no, there should not be gay people in the military. And wow. And I was going in to sell. Yeah. Well, Crazy. yeah, 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 yeah. I, that is a little, that is a little surprising. Um, my high school, <laughs> I, um, I did go to, I went to an academic magnet school, so it was not okay. exactly, it was not, it was not a traditional regular like zoned public school. Okay. And, and sure. so, and so the kid, the, the selection of kids there would be a little bit different, but, uh, but yes, it is in retrospect, it is still surprising. I, I was the only one, and I tried to move like I thought I, you know, I thought about it and then I was going to move. And then my teacher was like, no, stick to your convictions. And then mm. like, but but I didn't have convictions. Right. Like I, I didn't I didn't know why. I didn't know why I thought there shouldn't be gays in the military. I just my brain was like, no, gay people are bad. And so they shouldn't have privileges, I guess. I don't know what I was thinking. But like, yeah, sure. But, um, So like, yeah, you know, uh, religiously conservative, politically conservative, because that's the way I was raised but like but but it was all it was also it was so surface because it was just like this is what i'm supposed to do but at you know as as if it ever got to a point where i was actually thinking about what i was saying or doing i would choose some i would choose something different Um, (laughs) and uh, yeah you know that that continued a little bit through college even as things started to progress as a lot of people did i got to a point where i was like i'm not religious i'm spiritual because I, because I, because I found, I found myself becoming dissatisfied or disillusioned with, um, like the church as an institution. Like I was still into the idea of Jesus, right. Um, mm. or, and having a, or having a personal connection with, with Jesus. But I, I didn't like what I saw about the structures of the church, the way that they had become a political entity. Those kind of things were upsetting to me, even by the, the whole time. system is corrupt, man. Yeah. Yeah, Wake dude. up, sheeple. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I was at when I was 17, you know what I mean? And sure. so and so I was like, you know, I, I still like Jesus. I still like the Bible. I still like listening to uh, Christian ska or whatever. But like, um, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? Right? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but I was like, I don't know. I don't know if church is for me anymore, you know? Sure. And, and um, that happened. And then, you know, shortly after that, I went to college where suddenly I didn't have to go to church every week uh, <laughs> or, or, um, or ever. Uh, uh-huh. Like I, I started going to church when I went, you know, cause I, I had friends who were like, yeah, I'm going to go to this church. And I was like, cool, I'll go with you. And then I went and I was like, this church uh, sucks. And, and I was like, uh, <laughs> sleeping is sleeping is way better. And so um, my transition away from religion is a, is a complicated one that took many years, but a sure. part of it was definitely being able to sleep in on Sunday was definitely a portion of it. This is all like background info, I guess, that showed like a general transition in my life. But I think college was a big thing about getting me into more secular aspects of Christmas. Like I said, always love Christmas, always love Christmas music. I'm still very into religious Christmas music in a way 
that I think a lot of the people who I know who are also into Christmas, but mostly into secular Christmas, they don't quite understand like why <laughs> why I'm so hype about Hark the Herald Angels Sing or whatever. Um, it's because everyone knows the first verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The subsequent <laughs> verses are some real fire. Um, right. And with man to dwell, that's good. All right. Um, <laughs> well, and just that, you know, regardless of whether you're religious or not, I think you have to admit that the quote unquote secular Christmas music tends to be incredibly vapid. <laughs> often, often <laughs> like, it is. Yeah. It's uh, nice, but there's rarely a lot of lyrical depth there. It's um, yeah, it's really true. Like <laughs> I listen to a lot of Christmas music um, as, as part of my Christmas obsession that I have now. But I, I'm surrounded by a lot of people who are like, uh, Christmas music, don't start listening. You know, like <laughs> don't start listening to Christmas music before 6 p.m. on December 24th or whatever. <laughs> like, anything before that is terrible. Or, you know, I have I have a friend who she's just like, I hate Christmas. I hate Christmas music. It's the worst. And my response to that is always like, Stop listening to bad Christmas music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys don't hate Christmas music. You hate bad Christmas music. I also don't want to turn on. Uh, so we have a radio station here that has, and I'm sure everywhere has this format. They call right. it, they call it Mixmas. It starts, <laughs> it starts November 1st. Everyone around here knows, <laughs> knows Mixmas, but it's like, yeah, I, I don't want to listen to Mixmas. Like, I don't want to hear it's the same 40 terrible songs over yeah, and over again. It's like, yeah. it's like, I can only hear so many versions of Winter Wonderland. <laughs> I like, I don't, I don't want to hear it anymore. Like, I don't want to yeah. hear any versions of Winter Wonderland, but like, I don't, I don't want to hear Buble. I don't want to hear Josh Groban. I don't, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear those. Like, I don't like them either. Like, I but there's so many deep cuts that are good yeah, if you look for it, them. It, um, there's, there's so much Christmas music that I feel like if, if you listen, if you just made a playlist of every Christmas song recorded and you started listening <laughs> to it now, you would die before it looped back around to the beginning. <laughs> like, there's that much Christmas music. And it's like, put some effort in and you'll find some that you sure. like, I promise, you know? And so yeah. like I have, you know, my Spotify, my Spotify, Spotify playlist of Christmas music is like hundreds of songs long and there's zero versions of winter wonderland on there. Um, <laughs> zero, zero versions. No, I was going to say there's zero versions of sleigh rides, but that that's not true. I have the Ronettes uh, sleigh ride on there, which is actually really okay. good. Um, yeah. Or the TLC version's not bad either. Just yeah, throwing that out there. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, in 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 college, in college, I had a friend who was really into um, Christmas. His his favorite uh, Christmas song was, and this is not a joke. Uh, his favorite Christmas song was "I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas," which um, <laughs> which I I think I had probably not even heard of prior to college. <laughs> but it was um, that and. Um, Christmas and Killarney were his two favorite ones. And so like he loved Christmas music and he knew I loved Christmas. And that helped me kind of be like, yeah, I love Christmas and I love Christmas music. And so like he and I would just like blast, you know, we, this was, this was, uh, this was Napster days, you know, so we could, <laughs> so we would, we would uh, download all of the, the crazy Christmas novelty songs that we liked. And then we could listen to them. <laughs> Um, burn them onto a CD and then listen to them on the way to Taco Bell or whatever. Um, 
I think that friend was a big part of solidifying where I was like, yeah, Christmas rules actually. And uh, these, these songs are really good. Yeah. So that was, that was a weird part of the transition, I think as well. Um, away from me thinking like, no, Jesus is the reason for the season only. <laughs> and by that point I was like, you know what else is the reason for the season? Hippopotamuses <laughs> be the reason for the season as well. Uh, so eventually you, you know, drifted away from your uh, original Christian beliefs, but you never really drifted away from Christmas. Is that fair to say? Or Yeah, that would be true. If anything, I only got more into Christmas as time <laughs> went on. Like I said, kind of getting away from the uh, religious aspect of life was it was it was a it was a gradual process that involved a lot of things like learning more like the kind of stuff that we talk about on Apocrypha House. Like as as I learned more about how the sausage got made the sausage of Christianity got made, I came to realize like, okay, well, you know, it's the Bible is not the way that it was presented to me, you know, as a kid. And also in college, I started dating a girl who uh, was an Episcopalian. And so I started going to church with her for a while and started seeing uh, the differences in denominations. And my brain, you know, started going like, how do we get to a point where there are hundreds of divisions within Christianity, you know, and someone can, can say, aha, mine is where we finally got it right. Um, you know, like it's, it took thousands of years, but we finally, finally figured out that the real difference has to do with autonomy of individual churches or whatever, you know, and, and there was that. And just the, the idea that Christianity, this thing that was supposed to be a religion of love, it was, it's love your neighbor, love your God. It was supposed to be that. And so much of its history is defined by infighting and then also ex- external fighting. I think that was the thing that was the the major final break for me um, was I was, you know, I was just thinking about the history of the church and Protestant Reformation and anti-Reformation, how those things or counter-Reformation, I should say, and how those things literally devolved into violence. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. This thing that's it's so important to people that they would kill for it or die for it. And sometimes it's just the min- most minor philosophical issue or whatever. I think that was the final breaking point for me. But it was but it was a long it was a long transition period. I think it wasn't until I was fully living on my own, I think, that I realized, oh, I'm not actually religious. And also around the same time, I was like, oh, I'm also not actually conservative <laughs> and all this stuff to the point where I remember being in grad school, probably my first year of graduate school, um, I was at a dinner with other students and someone point blank asked me, like, what are your religious beliefs? And I didn't know what to say. You know, I, I didn't know I didn't know how to answer. So like even in my early 20s, I was at a point where I was like, I don't know where I'm at. And so like it mm-hmm. it took me until probably yeah, around my early 20s, early to mid 20s to kind of fir- fir- firmly finally say like, oh, yeah, OK, I, I'm not a I'm a not a religious person. I don't like to use the I don't like to use the term atheist because that's it's it's a loaded term with some connotations that I don't want to be associated with. That's why we don't use it on apocryphals. That's why we say non-believers because <laughs> you know if you say atheist like around the time that we launched the show there was this popular image um, going around of a cassette tape that was like the Bible as read by a fourteen year old atheist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, it was it was going around, and I was like, "Yeah, um, we don't want to be that, and I don't want people to think I don't want people to think we're that." So while it might be technically true to say that I'm an atheist in that I do not believe in the literal existence of anything supernatural, I don't I don't like that term because I don't I don't apply it to myself because because it is it is such a loaded term because perhaps ironically, but not ironically at all, many atheists are just as evangelical as fundamentalist <laughs> Christians. And when I see things, it's like, here's a gathering of atheists. Blah, and I'm like, I'm not going to that. I got out of religion because I didn't want to go to some kind of organized uh, congregation of like-minded people. I don't, that's, I don't want that. That's what I'm trying to get away from. I don't want to go to atheist sure. church. Forget that. Anyway, it took a while for me to realize, like, not only am I not conservative i'm actually way to the left of what would be traditionally defined as liberal so that kind of thing it all took some time you know and and i think and i think being on my own and being allowed to develop my own ideas separate from the influences of family and the and the people that i grew up with really helped with that and part of that was christmas i can suddenly get in i can suddenly get into the santa claus part of christmas (laughs) and i also started getting into uh saints although that started in college i i should say uh, for those who don't know me, my degree is in classical languages and literature. I'm I'm a Latin kid. I have been since I was 12 years old, 13, maybe. Wow. Um, and uh, so, Nerd. yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, hey, it's fair. It's fair. Um, so, yeah, I have both a bachelor's and a master's degree in, um, in Latin and ancient Greek. And cool. um, so in college is when I started getting into, you know, when you're in when you're in high school, you read Cicero, you read Caesar, you read Virgil, you read Catullus, Ovid. You read the guys from like the golden age of of Latin literature because that's the, that's the style of Latin grammar that you learn. That's the group of vocabulary that you learn. And so that's the easiest kind of stuff to read because it, it's all of an era. And um, just like with any language, it changes over time. And so like if you're if you're. 16 years old and you've only been reading Cicero, if someone suddenly brings up a piece of writing by, say, the Venerable Bede, the Latin is going to be not unrecognizable, but quite different. Just in the same way that um, for a modern reader, Shakespeare can be often be difficult because because the grammar and the vocabulary and is different. And this, the style of speech mm-hmm. is a similar kind of thing, right? Um, so it wasn't until college that I started getting into medieval Latin. And of course, medieval Latin is largely going to be about Christian stuff. It's going to be about saints. And that was probably in that class was where I first heard the story of St. Nicholas and the three boys in the pickle barrel that he uh, that he raises back to life. Um, it was in the form of a medieval miracle play in verse, like rhyming Latin verse. And I read that and I was like, this rules. And then also, also in that same course or in that same textbook, there's a story of St. Martin, um, St. Martin in the pine tree, where he is trying to cut down a sacred, a tree that's uh, sacred to a pagan community. And they say, oh, you want it to, to be cut down? They tie him up in the path of the falling tree. And, but he makes the sign of the cross and it bounces off of him like you put up a force field. And I was like, OK, this also rules. Why, why has this stuff been hidden from me? Um, my whole life. And so um, it was in you raised Baptist. They don't even teach you the sign of the cross, right? That's it's like, exactly this could right. save me from being crushed by a pine tree and you didn't even try to teach it to me, mom. Really? Come exactly, on. Exactly. Exactly. Right. 
exactly. Um, and so, yeah, that was um, when I was reading uh, medieval Latin in college was when I started going like, oh, uh, this stuff rules. This is what I want to read about for the rest of my life. And that continued. Fortunately, the uh, grad school I went to was definitely one with a holistic approach um, to Latin as a language where we read stuff from all eras, um, not just medieval, but even later Renaissance and early modern Neo-Latin as well, um, to the point where um, my it wasn't quite a master's thesis. That's not quite how the program worked. But my final project for my master's degree was on an 18th century Latin novel, science fiction novel. Um, <laughs> and so... Uh, uh, yeah, that was kind of when I started getting really into uh, saints and hagiographies. And I got into looking at art and artistic depictions of saints and I and like St. Lucy with her eyeballs on a tray. Which or, I actually named my daughter after St. Lucy. So. Did you? Uh, Saint <laughs> I did. Hey, St. Lucy is great. Um, I know, right? I told her, I told her the story. She's she's six now. I You know, yeah. the first time I told her the story of St. Lucy, she was like, oh, do I have to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, you don't, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so like I kept hitting on these, these weird stories, weird art, of course, the motifs in art, like um, one of my favorites was and still is the lactation of St. Bernard. Are you familiar with the <laughs> motif? I'm not, no. Um, it's based on a story of um, St. Bernard praying before a um, statue of the Virgin Mary and um, she squirts milk out of her boob into his mouth, like from a distance. Like, okay, a, yeah, I think I, like, I, think like, I have read about that. Like, yeah. a, like a super soaker. Um, <laughs> and, and there are multiple paintings of this event. And I was like, hey, Christianity is a lot weirder than I was led to believe growing right. up. <laughs> and, um, and so around the same time, you know, I was blogging, I think I was probably live journaling at the time, but um, <laughs> I would start writing about these things that I was discovering. Eventually, this moved over to my Tumblr when live journal stopped being a thing. But um, I would write these things uh, that I called true stories of weird Christianity. And they and it would just be me uh, talking about like, hey, this is what some Christians actually believe. And uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff did, you know, obviously has eventually evolved into the kind of things we do on Apocrypals. But but yeah, I, I was getting, I got really into hagiographies and really into saints. But uh, one of the things I have talked about when people ask me about uh, my comics work, one of the things I've always been really interested in is the idea of the power that comes with an iconographic figure, right? Um, uh -huh. Some, something that's an icon that people recognize already, right? Where you don't you don't have to do heavy lifting because people already have associations with that thing, right? When I introduced myself up top, I talked about my book Tales from the Bully Pulpit. That book was about exploring those ideas, right? I, it's it's not historical fiction. I it is at best what I call fictional history. It's not <laughs> it's, it's not science fiction. It's fictional science. Um, right, right. But it's it's not about trying to accurately represent the way these historical people were. It's about taking popular conceptions of these cultural icons and then mashing them together. Right. People have an idea of who Theodore Roosevelt was. They have an idea of who Thomas Edison was. They have an idea of who Hitler was. And for me, I was like, I need a book where the climax is Abraham Lincoln and Adolf Hitler in a bare knuckle boxing match. Like that, that was the image that I wrote the entire book around. And um, be because those are those those are loaded images with strong associations for people. Right. When 
when you see Lincoln punching out Hitler, I mean, A, it's funny, but also like there's semiotic weight to that. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And, mm-hmm. um, and people, people can f- like feel it in their bones, what that means. I find that kind of stuff really interesting. Um, and I'm interested in exploring the backgrounds of these kind of iconic figures. Like I said, that Santa Claus is coming to town opened something in my brain, I think, to the point where I can't watch vintage TV commercials. Like I see the I see like old Burger King commercials with with the Burger King without going like, what's his story? Like uh, I need to know more about Sir Shakes a lot. Uh, how does <laughs> how does how does the economy of uh, this Burger Kingdom uh, work? You know. Uh, <laughs> To the point where I know at one point I had I had composed some kind of like expanded universe of Burger King mythology <laughs> that incorporated like the the BK Kids Club uh, Kid Vid or whatever his name was. And that's the way that's just the way my brain goes. My wife is like, no, nobody else looks at Captain Crunch and wonders like, oh, what's what's his story? And I'm like, I, <laughs> I do. I have to. You know, like I know they're about his days of first mate crunch. Mm. Yeah, him and the soggies. There's some. There's something going on there. Um, and so eventually, you know, because because my brain kind of works that way. Eventually, my my brain was like the two big icons again. That same kind of semiotic weight of Lincoln versus Hitler. A similar <laughs> idea is Santa versus Dracula, right? Um, <laughs> I, I eventually I originally came up with this idea. Um, the there was an internet forum where a lot of comics people were coming up at one time. It was called uh, Pencil Jack. It it kind of grew out of the old Wizard Magazine uh, forums, okay. and uh, a lot of a lot of people came up. That's where uh, Robert Kirkman and Tony Moore came from. I mean, they were those guys grew up together, so they were together prior to to that. But um, but they were there. Um, that's but that's where like Robert met. Corey Walker with whom he created invincible. And then okay. a lot of, a lot of the original artists that he worked with on, on his early books are from there. Um, all sorts of guys who are, are pros now started out on that board and uh, they uh, wanted to do um, a thing where there would be a theme. You pick a theme and then all the artists on the board who wanted to contribute would draw an image based on that theme. And, uh, and it would be weekly or biweekly or whatever. I can't remember. But they asked me to come up with the concept for the first one. I was a moderator on the board at the time. And uh, the first thing I came up with was Santa versus Dracula, because I was like, this is an interesting idea that you can have huge variations on. Right. Sure. And it's again, like these iconic figures, because that's where my head was at. That's where my head is still at in a lot of ways. And my, I couldn't stop thinking about this idea. Like, obviously, a lot of people did whatever their interpretations were on it. But I was like, I've got to make this into a comic. I have to make a comic out of this. And I had this idea that it would be a two part story that could show the range of these ideas. Right. So the first part of the story was a fully traditional style St. Nicholas, you know, in the bishop's robes on the horse <laughs> kind of thing versus Vlad the Impaler. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. not not fully historical, but based on the rumors and writings and folklore surrounding him at that time. Right. right? And so it's the story where St. Nicholas with with the Krampus, who was only just starting to become a cultural <laughs> thing at the time, because this would have been around this would have been around 2004, 2005, maybe. Yeah. Krampus um, is everywhere now, but yeah, ten, everywhere ten, now. Yeah. Yeah. But at, at that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, at, at that time it was, he was just starting to become a thing. Um, 
but yeah, it was St. Nicholas and the Krampus. They end up at, uh, they end up in Targovishta and they, they encounter Vlad Sepish in his path. <laughs> right. And that's, and that's the first part. And then the second part is set in the modern day and it's a full on Bela Lugosi Dracula, full on <laughs> Santa. And they have a, they have this ridiculous fight that ended up having robots and wizards and all sorts of stuff in it. Right. Um, <laughs> And it was when I was was writing that and researching the St. Nicholas part of it that I was like, uh, this is my favorite thing. And I, I kept digging more into St. Nicholas, more into the Christmas parts of it. Um, when I was a kid in elementary school, we did a, we had to do like reports on other countries. I don't remember if it was specifically supposed to be tied to Christmas in some way, but I know that my report included... Um, La Bifana, who's the um, Italian. Um, she, she's a witch, a good witch <laughs> that comes at Epiphany and brings presents to uh, kids in Italy. She's a very popular figure there. And that was the first kind of like international Christmas figure that I learned about in elementary school. But doing the St. Nicholas research, I started finding more and more as a, you know, Krampus as the gateway drug into weird Christmas stuff, I guess. <laughs> Um, from there, you know, I started buying more books, uh, digging into more things. And, you know, I was obsessed. I was definitely obsessed with Santa by the time I had finished writing Santa versus Dracula, um, <laughs> which never got drawn, by the way. So like I, I did uh, the comic never got finished. I, I finished writing it, but it never got drawn. I did eventually turn it into a prose story that is available for free that people can find. But um, anyway, yeah, that's kind of where my lifelong obsession with Christmas mixed with my uh, more newly found obsession with uh, weird saint stuff. And then just like my and then also my lifelong obsession with monsters and just weird things in general. When I realized like, oh, Christmas is really weird and dark and scary <laughs> in, um, in a way that I think a lot of people don't understand. And so I started writing comics and stories to try and get. Um, one that a lot of people know that I did um, I still meet people where for them the, the thing that they know me from is they go oh you wrote the um, you wrote the comic about the pooping log and I'm like yeah <laughs> I did um, so because that has that one's really gotten around that is this um, the Tio de Nadal or the Caga Tio as it is known um, it is a Catalonian uh, Christmas tradition where the gift bringer is not Santa Claus, it's not Saint Nicholas. The gift bringer is a log with a little face and a little hat. Um, <laughs> got a blanket over the back of him, and you hit him with sticks until he poops all your presents out. And you sing a song, um, sing a song. You say, um, "Poop log, poop nougat, poop delicious fruits. Don't poop salty herrings." Um, that's the, that's how the song goes. So, but, but in Catalonia, they also have a separate tradition called the Caganer, which is in their, um, which means the, the pooper in their, um, nativity scenes somewhere hidden in the background. There'll always be a little guy doing a deuce. Right. Um, <laughs> and it's so popular that they make them in all sorts like the traditional one is a little guy in like Catalonian, like Catalan, um, peasant garb. But um, but they make them in all sorts of different forms, like celebrities, um, sports stars, cartoons. Like if you want a little if you want a Bart Simpson Cogginair or an Obama or Pikachu or whatever, they have them and you can they have whole stores with just shelves and shelves of them. Um, I had a friend who went to uh, Barcelona and I had him bring me one back. And um, 
the one the one I have though, I wanted to combine the two into one. So the Kaganair that I have is the Kagatio, the pooping log. And so um <laughs> and so what I did with the story was I said, well, they have these two unrelated poop Christmas <laughs> traditions. What if they were connected? Um, what if there was a reason for that? And so uh, I made a story about how the uh, the Kaganair, the guy who pooped at Jesus's birth, um, eventually turned into the gift pooping, candy pooping log. Um, and that and that is the story that a lot of people know me from best more than anything else sometimes. Because, yeah, that's me trying to be like, hey, uh, Christmas is cool. And if the only thing you know about it is Winter Wonderland and uh, Christmas with the Cranks or whatever, or Home Alone, maybe try harder. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and so, yeah, like Santa lore and not just Santa, of course, but um, the whole world of wintertime gift bringers, which includes Santa, variants on Santa and uh, similar type figures um, has kind of been my obsession for like 15 years now, I've written a large number of stories. Every year, I try to write a new story to send out with Christmas cards. They've gotten too long to actually put in with the physical Christmas cards. So now I put them up on Google Docs and then just include a URL in with the Christmas card. I have no idea how many people that I send cards to actually sit down and type in the URL. But yeah, I do that. And um, I've, I've got one that I've been working on for most of the year. Um, in addition to that, um, also, I was inspired by uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote letters from Father Christmas to his kids. Um, I do not have any kids. I do have nephews and nieces. And every year I write a letter from Santa Claus to my oldest nephew. Um, I've done I've been doing that every year since he was born. He doesn't understand them yet, probably, but eventually he will. And maybe he'll think they're cool next year. Uh, he's four now. So um uh, again, this this year, the one I'm writing, I'm getting, getting quite long, probably too long, where I'm like, how am I going to do this? I print this off. I'm going to have to put it in a manila envelope from Santa, <laughs> probably. Um, uh, but yeah, so every year I do that. But also, like, I wrote a book. I wrote a literal encyclopedia, a guidebook to Santa Claus uh, and and winter gift bringers from around the world. But it's done in a it's it's done in an in in world style, the in universe style that Wikipedia hates so much, right? Um, <laughs> um, the the book starts from the assumption two assumptions: one, um, Santa Santa Claus and everything from Christmas is real. And also the other assumption is that um, St. Nicholas, Father Christmas, and Santa Claus are all the same person. It starts from those two assumptions. And if that's true, if those three figures are the same person, what kind of life has he led, right? And that, um, and so in a way, the book is a biography of Santa Claus in encyclopedia form. And at the same time, it's, it's also like the official Marvel handbook to the Benito Santa Claus universe. <laughs> It's the framework behind all of the Christmas stories that I have written and will continue to write. And yeah, so definitely working on that book fully solidified my <laughs> love and obsession with Christmas and Christmas lore. It is probably at this point my main thing. Like uh, my phone case is Santa Claus. It's a Santa Claus like all the time. The thing is, if people see it now, they'll be like, oh, phone case for Christmas. And I was like, yeah, but also I in July, I had, this was my phone case. Like this is my year. <laughs> 
my regular <laughs> year-round phone case is Santa Claus because I sometimes I just want to look at Santa Claus, you know? <laughs> because yeah, it was it's it's a full turnaround for me because as a teen, all I could see from Santa Claus were the commercial aspects of it, the way that he was sure. used um, to advertise things, to try and uh, make money, to give the idea that you have to buy bigger, more and more expensive things for your kids or whatever. And it and I felt that it distracted from what I thought Christmas should have been about. Yeah. Um, but now it's completely different for me. Right. I, I look at Santa and I go, here's a figure whose entire purpose in life is to protect kids and make them happy. Why wouldn't I want to support that? And Chris Sims, my co-host on Apocrypals, he talks about the beauty of Santa Claus being in that it's the good lie. Because what's happening is you're taking the biggest day of the year, the thing that makes kids the happiest, getting opening presents on Christmas morning, right? And you're giving somebody else credit for that. It's the biggest moment you could have where your kids would be most happiest with you. And you're saying... No, man, that's the big guy at the North Pole. That wasn't me, right? <laughs> um, there's something beautiful in in that. But um, for me, this, I, this idea of someone who hundreds of years, thousands of years has been out there whose job is to look out for the powerless and to reward them just for being, you know? Yeah. Who goes around, encounters monsters, doesn't kill them. He teaches them to do good. <laughs> that... To me, like, that's what's important about Christmas, right? Is it's it's the end of the year, take stock, it's a new chance, it's a new beginning, right? The, the sun, S-U-N, sun, right, is uh, born, yeah. is born anew, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, even though... Even though it's the darkest time of the year, it's the coldest time of the year, there is something that we can celebrate that brings us warmth, that brings us light. There's someone watching out for us and wants to make sure we're happy. That's To me, that's beautiful. Um, sure. And why why wouldn't you want that? I, I mean, again, as with Christmas music, there's bad Santa Claus stuff out there. There's bad, there's bad takes on Santa Claus. You got yeah. to ditch it. You got to get rid of that stuff throw it out um yeah. you know find find the good because it's there and i understand there are plenty you know a lot of people have legitimate concerns about like do i tell my kids about santa claus what do i tell them i don't want to lie to my kids yeah i mean i get that you just got <laughs> you got to do it right though right yeah. like there's there's bad ways to approach things and then there's good ways sure well and i feel like that dovetails uh really well with what you were saying about your disillusionment with christianity and high school and college it's like Anytime there's a good idea people like, there's going to be someone out there trying to make a buck off of it. That's just how people are, right? Right. Like, yeah. There's someone out there trying to make a buck off of Jesus. There's someone out there trying to make a buck off of Santa, but that doesn't right. discredit the teachings of Jesus or what Santa has to teach us. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, th I think there's something very profound there about you know, being disillusioned with the marketing sheen, but then being able to scrape that away and seeing that, wow, there's this incredibly rich history and hagiography and mythology that this was hiding. Like the world is yeah. just this much more, much deeper, richer, mag more magical place than I ever imagined. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, I love that. Yeah, the world is full of magical things, but sometimes you got to go looking a little bit because the less magical things are frequently the louder, <laughs> elements, you know. 
Um, yeah, yeah. No, the people people looking to make a buck are always shouting the loudest. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. For sure. All right. That seems like a good place to wrap things up. Um, I have three questions that I try to ask every guest. Um, okay. No agenda here. Just uh, general philosophical questions because I want to get at these uh, questions of ontology and epistemology. Um, mm. <laughs> you know, because sometimes it just it's so hard to to know the truth or to know yourself. So what do you think, what, what, do you, what would you say identity is? Does everyone have an identity? Where is your identity? How do you know your identity? What do you think? Oh man, well, yeah, um, definitely something I'm prepared to answer. Does everyone have an identity? Yes, yes, they do. And, and it's a combination of internal and external factors. I think we looked at sure. the development of my own identity over the course of, of this discussion. Um, and it, yeah, it is the way that my internal being reacted to the external forces of my surroundings, first my family, later my schooling and friends, and the way that I was able to shape those things into the person that I feel most comfortable being. So I, I think identity is the way that your internal self takes external stimuli and reacts to them and shapes them around yourself. There, that's my answer. What about human nature? What do you think human nature is? Are we all the same? Are we all different? <laughs> are we blank slates? Uh, what do you think? I think there are elements of us uh, that, that are the same. I think we all have similar base impulses, desires for food and love and shelter and things that help inform that internal aspect of identity, I think. But I think human nature, what we would think of, I don't, I don't think that there is a, a universal human nature because so much of that, I think, is informed by the society and the surroundings in which somebody grows up. And, and the things that we would think of as universal are not. And I think if we were to be exposed to a society that's completely different from Western American white culture, I think the assumptions that we make about what are universal would, I think, blow up in our face if we were to... Yeah. Um, if we were to find a, I don't know, a, a pre-agricultural society in Africa or something, you know, um, I think the things that we, the base assumptions that we had about the way humanity works, I don't, I don't think, I think human experience is so variegated. I don't think that we can make universal statements about anything other than everybody's got to eat. Right. And so <laughs> in, that, in that regard, yes, there, there is some, there is something universal there, but, uh, anything beyond got to eat, got to sleep, got to poop. I don't. I don't think that there's anything super universal. Yeah, I had a guest on um, a couple episodes ago who um, who who wanted, you know, who was was like, I think human nature is the desire to make things better. We're always trying to fix things, and I was like, that is a very American understanding of human nature. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not hard if you look. It's not hard to find cultures where people are like actively opposed to fixing things, or like just you know, cultures centered around accepting things as they are. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I agree with you there. Um, and finally, the big question, what is truth? How do you know truth? <laughs> is there truth? Well, um, yeah, but is, <laughs> is, there, is, there a, is there a universal truth? I don't, I don't know. This is a difficult question. And, and it is one that I, I do talk about, like um, have talked about on Apocrypals and how talking about my, my own personal belief system it, is that like, I don't literally believe in Santa Claus, right? But I do believe in Santa Claus, right? San Santa is real for certain definitions of the word real, right? right. Um, and ghosts are real in that same way. God is real to me in that same way. Um, that the I, idea well, is there influencing right. 
how people, um, yeah. So like there's a, there is often a distinction between the literal fact of a thing and the emotional truth behind that thing. Right. Sure. Um, I find that for the, the way the human brain operates, metaphors have such unbelievable power that they, mm-hmm. they, they can shape entire worldviews, right? Um, yeah. Language, right? The, the idea that language shapes the way that you see and understand the world is based on the same idea. The way that we apply meaning semiotically to sounds, shapes, symbols, right, has such power that they they literally shape our brain. Um, right. And so I think there's a lot of weight to ideas that don't have to be literally true to in, to literally to actually influence the world. And I don't know. It's a, this is a, it's a difficult it's a difficult question because I I don't want I don't want to just straight up loosey goosey say everyone has their own truth, right? It's not <laughs> it's not that kind of thing. Um, right. But but also kind of yeah. You, you know what I mean? Well, I mean I think there's the question of, and I don't have an answer for the question. I like, I have no idea. I, I think there is the very legitimate question of like with the human brain, if it's something so given to analogy and metaphor and that sort of thing, like, is it, is it even possible to know the truth as like the literal physical truth of the way things are? Right. Um, and I, I think maybe not because everyone's subjective experience colors the way they see things to such a degree that I think it would be impossible to come to full consensus on what anything meant. Right. Like think about the way people argue about is a hot dog a sandwich, is a taco a sandwich. Right. I should do a whole episode about that. That'd oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, think, just think, think about the way that people um, argue about those things. Like, can you imagine trying to come up with a consensus on anything that mattered at all? Right. Because <laughs> it's impossible because everyone's subjective understanding influences things like they have. Everyone has their own internal definition of what makes a sandwich. Right. Imagine right. everyone's internal definition of justice, you know, right. Like, come on. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Benito. It has been Every bit as much a pleasure to have you here as I thought it would. Um, anything else? You got anything to plug? Twitter, that sort of thing? Uh, yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter uh, and Instagram, Benito underscore Sereno. I'm at uh, both of those. Um, I'm on Tumblr, although people don't use Tumblr so much anymore. But you can find the backlog of a lot of my writings about saints and about Christmas at Benito-Sereno.tumblr.com. I also have a separate... Um, tumblr blog just for my writings about santa claus that you can find um it's uh further adv like as an adventure further adv of santa.tumblr.com it's the further adventures of santa blog that includes uh the prose version of uh santa versus dracula and all of my past uh christmas card stories and all of my past uh santa letters to my nephew those are all available there for free to read. Yeah, let's see. Also find me most weeks at grunge.com where I have some uh, new article about something. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, what? <laughs> uh, recently I wrote about the history of alchemy. Um, that should be there by the time this goes up. Also, um, the most powerful warrior queens in history. Uh, so if you want to learn about that, that'll, that'll be up there. But also you can look into my backlog and see me write about horror movies or like, Hey, what's uh, hereditary really about? Well, you can see my thoughts on that matter. Those are there, or you can see me write about St. Nicholas or St. Patrick or the apostles. Um, that kind of stuff is, is there as well. 
And uh, yeah, Poker Pals is my podcast that I do with Chris Sims. And it goes up sometimes. Um, <laughs> and hopefully we're going to try, we're going to have a Christmas episode where this year where we're going to read one of our most requested books, The Infancy Gospel of Thomas, which is about uh, Jesus as a bratty little boy. Um, <laughs> and we'll have uh, a Hanukkah episode about Third Maccabees, hopefully both of those by the end of the year. So Uh, Keep an eye out for those. Those are the things that I do. All right. This has been Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. You can find me at LukeTHarrington.com or just find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington. Thanks for listening. I've been thinking um, quite a bit lately about a Facebook conversation I had probably about a year ago. Um, A friend posted an op-ed piece by Alejandra Ocasio-Cortez, you know, the Democratic Socialist who got elected to Congress back in 2018. Um, This was, I believe, right around the time she got elected. And the op-ed was a piece about how her Catholic faith had informed her political views. Um, now one of my friend's friends, someone who I know nothing about, uh, commented on the piece and said, well, I'm really reluctant to support anyone who gets their beliefs, their political views from something invisible. Um, and I felt like being mildly snarky as I often do. So, uh, I posted a, a comment underneath that was like, I think we all get our political views from something invisible, don't we? I mean, even... For example, the concept of human rights is invisible. Um, And I quickly got another comment from, I think it was a different person, but he he said, you know, I think uh, human rights are perfectly visible if you see the people around you and you're not a sociopath. Um, At that point, I was pretty distracted. So I I think I was like, I I think I said, um, I think you're confused about what the word visible means. Um, and then I kind of checked out because I am the problem with the internet. We are all the problem with the internet, but I, you know, do stand behind what I said so far as it goes. Um, the argument that you would agree this thing exists if you were not a sociopath, it's certainly not an argument that it's visible and it's not really even an argument that it exists. Like you could say that about anything. I could say you would agree that God exists if you were not a sociopath, you know, and if you find that argument unconvincing, I mean, well, that should tell you what the problem is. Um, Also, there's the question about what about the people who are sociopaths? I mean, no one asked to be a sociopath. It's um, just something that happens to 1% or so of the population. Anyway, um, that was a tangent. The real point, though, is that until you know, just a few hundred years ago, no one believed in human rights. There was no concept of human rights. Human rights is an idea that's been with us only really since the Enlightenment. Um, And, you know, that's not an argument against human rights. It's just a reminder that if you believe in human rights, it's not something you magically discovered on your own. It's not something you see around you. It's something you absorbed from the culture you live in. I was um, kind of glad to uh, hear Benito agree with me <laughs> that um, 
human nature is a bit more dependent on culture than a lot of us realize. Um, because that had kind of been sticking in my craw a bit ever since uh, I talked to Adam Oster a couple episodes ago. Um, he said that humans are the beavers of nature, which is weird. I keep telling him nature already has beavers. Um, but what he said was that, you know, people are always trying to improve things and make things better. And as I said then, and as I said in my conversation with Benito, I do think that's just a very Western understanding of human nature. And it comes from kind of the same sort of thinking that the concept of human rights comes from, which is enlightenment thinking, which was for better or worse, you know, heavily informed by Protestant Christianity. Now, the point is this, um, that if you came of age in a modern Western society, you probably take all this stuff for granted, that all people are equal, that all people have dignity, that all people are deserving of having their fundamental needs met. And I'm not saying that's not true, but I am saying that the only reason you believe it is because the people around you believe it. And the only reason the people around you believe it is because of uh, ultimately Martin Luther, um, who gave Westerners a reason to believe this stuff. This obviously isn't a defense of all Christians ever. God knows I'm not going to try to defend American Christians after the 2016 election. Um, and it's not even an advertisement for Christianity. It's actually something much weirder than that. It's really just a reminder to be aware of the water you're swimming in. Um, and that's really ultimately what I appreciate about Benito and Apocrypals um, and what they're doing on the podcast is just a reminder of how weirdly influential the Bible and Christianity has been on Western culture and that you really can't understand Western culture or the numerous presuppositions floating around in your own head without understanding at least a little bit of Christianity. And I've said this before that I, I don't intend for this to be a Christian podcast per se. Um, this isn't an evangelistic message, and I don't intend to give you one on this show. Um, the purpose of this show is to kind of remind people to engage deeply with the ideas that they are already swimming in. Um, and I hope that this at least encourages you to do that. Um, sorry, this monologue had nothing to do with Christmas. We will talk about Christmas a bit more on the next show. Um, I do want to thank Benito for being on the show. He's a great guy. Um, really appreciated him making space in his schedule to come on. Do check out his podcast, Apocrypals. Um, I honestly have not read any of his comics, but I fully intend to because he's a super cool dude. I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. Please check out their other podcasts, Faith and Other Oddities and The Commentarians. If you like the show, please take a second to give me a review 
or a rating on iTunes. You can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington or visit my website, LukeTHarrington.com. I'm Luke T. Harrington. Thank you for listening to Change My Mind, and don't be afraid to change your mind.